Welcome to our Lancaster Health Festival podcasts. Other podcasts are available on our Health Festival website, www.thelancasterhealthfestival.org.uk. We hope you enjoy listening. Hi, welcome to the Lancaster Health Festival, the fifth Lancaster Health Festival for our podcast this year. We're starting a new experiment. It's 15 minutes with somebody who's got something really interesting to say to us about health and well-being. And I was thinking of who we could get today. And I was looking for somebody with knowledge, wisdom, insight, erudition and skill. So I have with me on this occasion. Well, who do I have with me? Hello, Ian. I'm Ian Robertson. Um, I'm a neuropsychologist. Um, Originally a clinical psychologist who moved into neuroscience and I'm Emeritus Professor of Psychology at Trinity College Dublin. Uh, I've written several books um, uh, for the popular reader. The most recent is How Confidence Works. Um, and my fascination is how the mind controls the brain and body as much as vice versa. That is fascinating indeed. So tell us about your latest book, Confidence. I mean, that's, it's, it's a big title. Yeah, so the book is called How Confidence Works. And it is a big title. And I'll tell you why. Um, the world, we are facing unprecedented change individually and collectively in the world. And it's not just linear changes, accelerating exponential change because of uh, technological advances and things like Moore's Law, climate change, social change the globalization. And change is always anxiety provoking. And the only way that humanity can, if you like, survive and face up to this change is by having individual and collective confidence. Because what confidence does is it projects you into the future to envisage some state of the world that doesn't yet exist. And it motivates you to work towards achieving that new state of of, of the world. And we're all going to have to do that collectively and individually in order to address these accelerating changes. So people are going to have to become much more sophisticated about their own mental processes. And for that to happen, they have to believe that they have control, that change is possible. I mean, mean, that's fascinating stuff. I mean, and the first question that appears comes to my mind uh, immediately is when I do things such as a health festival, people say to me, it's okay putting things like a health festival on, you've got all people in Lancaster coming, but what about the hard to reach groups? Uh, and we have conversations about people living in poor housing, uh, who've got uh, you know, substance abuse issues, who've got poor uh, you know, um, backgrounds and adverse childhood experiences, a current issue that's buzzing around. Could that notion of confidence help people in that category? Yes, I think so. Um, the, criti- the critical thing that um, holds us back from believing that change is possible is our theories, or one of the critical things is our theories we have about ourselves. And I'm talking here about the wonderful work of Carol Dweck um, in Stanford. This notion that we have a, a theory about ourselves that this is our destiny. This is our genetic destiny or our social destiny or some other kind of destiny that fate has dealt us these cards. And there's a lot of people who feel helpless, uh, who feel there's nothing they can do because they believe that this is their destiny. And indeed, uh, sometimes the structures of where you live and what's happening make it very, very difficult to avoid the conclusion this is your destiny. However, the critical thing about confidence is it's not self-esteem, it's not your self-evaluation, 
it's 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 linked to action as the critical thing for confidence. It makes it us able to do things to create new states in the future, both inside ourselves but also in, in the external world. And um, uh, so, so for the people you're talking about, and I have worked with people with alcohol problems many years ago, so I know what a, a trap that is, as indeed things like compulsive gambling is, so it's not all about biology, what a trap that is uh, and how difficult it is to get down. And that's where uh, feeling, two critical things. One is feeling there's a purpose, there's a reason why you should change things and the purpose in life is absolutely critical to all of this it's kind of like something that lurks behind the whole thing and the second thing is having a goal even a tiny goal a small goal it can be you know not 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 in any objective sense is a big goal a goal that stretches you a little bit that you set and then achieve and that is the first step in taking action particularly in spite of adversity particularly in spite of anxiety if you take action, achieve a goal, that changes your brain a little bit. It's like a mini antidepressant and a mini anxiety reducing drug because of its effects on the brain's reward network. So, so people like that is step by step taking action, slowly improving, uh, taking, achieving some small, tiny success in your life that's big success for you maybe, but a small success for anyone else. But to do that, you have to see some reason to do it, some purpose. And that's why purpose in life is absolutely critical here. I am completely intrigued by that because sometimes I wake up in the morning and think, oh, I don't want to get out of bed today. I think, no, what I've got to do is, and funnily enough, the moment I step out of bed, I feel all right. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of that kind of getting going, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, but, 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 but coming back to that, I mean, in a strange way, you seem to describe it, please tell me if I'm wrong, but... What we all need almost is a narrative for our lives. It's like it's like writing your own novel, isn't it? You've got your story. I mean, I've heard people say that you need to be the hero of your own story, not that you're going to conquer the world or anything, but you've got to have your you've got to have a, a narrative, so to speak, as to why life makes sense yeah. to you and what you're going to do. I mean, and does that does that mean, in a sense, that the arts, for example, have a great role to play as well as psychology and neuroscience and and all the other medical stuff? At one hundred and fifty percent here, um, you know. Here, here's the challenge. There's a lot of people, particularly the kinds of people you're talking about, who have, you know, society and life has dealt them a hard um, set of cards to, to play with. But there's going to be more and more people in that position um, with artificial intelligence coming in, globalization, um, you know, trucks will be, you know, going down the motorway, you know, automatic, are driven by artificial intelligence, big convoys. So what are all the truck drivers going to do? So we're all going to be faced with a crisis of meaning. Um, and, you know, one of the greatest sources of meaning of escaping from negative narratives that we're in are the arts and creative expression. I mean, creative expression, no other species is creative. No other species... Uh, does new imaginative things so so the creative arts is a huge source of confidence and uh, a huge source of meaning in life that, and that's fascinating because one of the things that um you notice i've noticed over the years in our culture 
is uh, the arts have almost become professionalised and we've lost the death of things such as, um, well, community singing, for example. I mean, my other son yeah. spent some time in South Africa and he said he'd be working away uh, with, a, with, a, with the group in uh, Zulu Tarn, I think he was at the time, uh, and the radio would be on and they'd be singing a pop song and then suddenly, suddenly would spark up with, with, with like a Zulu folk song and everybody would completely ignore the radio and join in. Everybody would know their parts and sing. And, and, and even if you just, you know, stacking shells or moving sacks around, this creativity going on because singing is going on isn't it we, we seem to have lost those arts i think is that is that fair do you think yes absolutely i mean i before covid i sang in a choir myself and i know in, incredibly positive effects that doing things together with other people like that for its own sake not for some material reward in the world but for its own sake and that that kind of community um, involvement being part of a common endeavor that supplies meaning <laughs> to people because <laughs> it's not all about you and your lonely ego in the world. So abs absolutely, we, we need to rediscover ways of enjoying this incredible gift of consciousness, of human consciousness, the most incredible unexplained um, phenomenon in, in the universe drives physicists mad because they, they, you know, they can't place it in their unified theory of the universe. Um, this, this phenomenon of consciousness and to consciousness really only exists between people. So consciousness is not really a phenomenon just of the individual brain. It's the, it, it's the, it's, it, it's the interaction between brains where consciousness and our self, our self-concept exists, which is why other people's view of us is so critical in our stress, and etc. So, so absolutely, we, we, you know, there's, there's a wonderful opportunity in the 21st century, which I believe to be the era of the mind as opposed to the era of the, the body in, in the 20th century. There's a, a, a real opportunity for us to rediscover these things you're talking about, but that requires confidence in the belief that change is possible. Just talk me through that era of the mind idea again, because it's an interesting yeah. phrase you kind of slipped in there. Just could you just unpack that a wee bit for us? So, um, you know, until the um, you know until the the, the, the era of um, God, kind yeah. of you know the era I where remember where, you're where, talking uh, to the chaplain. Be careful here. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know that. <laughs> but you know, until until the Enlightenment, really. Yeah. Um, it was all about everything, all our actions were driven by the positives and negatives of, of, of the implied actions or you know, wishes of, of, of a deity, of various deities. Then the enlightenment comes and suddenly it becomes really we're, we're into the, the era of physics, essentially, where you know the, the whole explosion of scientific discoveries it's all about machines and the industrial revolution and so we um, and then we have tried you know crick and watson uh, cry dna in 1950 we, we come into the era of genetics where our belief is that who we are and what we are and what we do is controlled by these strange mo molecules that um that, that control who we are uh, and but i do believe that now 21st century, because everything is about information. The whole economies are based on information. I mean, it's not physical things anymore. It's about information, Facebook, uh, uh, and, and the mind, the human mind is about information. 
And so I do believe that we have an opportunity to take control of ourselves, take control of our world by um, appreciating that we are in the era of the mind and we have to really have the confidence <laughs> to understand our minds and take control of them to, to, to become pilots in our own uh, fate, if you like. Let's move on a bit. I mean, that's an interesting concept, and I think we could, we could talk for hours about that, but we're doing our 15 minutes taster for people. So I remember, you mentioned about taking control of things at the end, then, and you've mentioned two or three times about you know, the narratives we tell each other, about how, how human beings can have those things. Um, does the same thing apply uh, to organisations and to cultures? I'm going to give you a very simple example of this. Now, I'll probably get in trouble from the city councillors that didn't listen to this to, for saying so. Um, but on one of your graphs, I've noticed that you have... Um, uh, can do, uh, uh, can happen, won't do, won't happen, the way you break our approach to life. Yeah. You've got one that says can do, could be fantastic, but probably won't happen. So people believe they can do something, but they won't put it into effect because they don't think a consequence will actually follow on. From yes. that. Can that apply to yes. organisations and, and towns and cities as well? Because I was born in Lancaster and for years I've said Lancaster's got fantastic potential, but you know what? It's never really realised it. So, I mean, it's as, it's as if it's got the can do, yeah. but it won't happen. You know, is, is that possible for organisations yeah. to have yeah. that set up? Yes, it is, because we know that collective confidence exists in the, as a, you know, that's not just the sum of the individual confidences. That, that people, and you, you measure that by saying, how confident are you that your team, your company, your country can do X, okay? And we know that confident sports teams, football teams, for instance, who have a, a collective confidence in the ability of not, not just me to be able to score a goal, but the, the team to get through. Confident teams win much more, significantly more. There's experiments to show this. And confident cities and confident countries um, do the same and one i mean my i guess my best example of a confident culture would be israel <laughs> and i know there's a lot of political you know issues there i'm just saying as a and i know there are people who are excluded from that confidence in israel so i'm not making a political point here i'm just saying that is an example of a, 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 a several million people with a belief in their collective ability to do stuff <laughs> And that collective confidence right. is enormous, yeah. you know. Um, so, yes, and, and so the, the can-do. So here's the problem. You believe that as a cult, you know, as a company or a town council, yeah, you know, we could do that, but, you know, there are these structural or financial or other obstacles so that even if we do that, the outcome we want is not going to happen. That situation tends to produce anger because there's a sense of frustration. And anger, of course, um, can increases our fight or flight system and the chemicals in the brain like noradrenaline associated with that. And they be can become easily mixed up with anxiety. So you can get this horrible mixture of anxiety where you feel anxious and you feel angry and you feel angry and you feel anxious because you're frustrated because you know you could do this, but if you do it, it won't happen. So that's, that, that's entirely possible with organizations and collectives would have been could get into that state. Ian Robertson, thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. I think we've got one or two bandwidth problems along the way, but we managed to get there, which is great. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you for downloading our Lancaster Health Festival podcast. Other podcasts are available on our Health Festival website 
You can find them on www.thelancasterhealthfestival.org.uk. We hope you enjoy listening.